Everybody in this room probably has had an experience in your life where somebody talked you into doing something and you, you did it then, but you wouldn't do it again. And, and I don't know what that experience is for you. Maybe it was skydiving. Maybe you had a friend that told you it was awesome and you went, you had a panic attack. And so you did it then, but you wouldn't do it again. For me, it was eating an oyster. Somebody was like, oh my gosh, you need to eat one of these. And I ate one, did it then. Because it looks like, oysters look like God went, and people went, oh, let's eat that. And so, oh, put Tabasco sauce on it. No, just don't eat it. Um, but I did it then. I wouldn't do it again. I was thinking about this, though. I had a buddy of mine, and we were having a conversation about a product called Spanx. Now, just real quick survey. How many people are familiar with Spanx? You know what Spanx is? Okay, mostly women, mostly women. If you'll notice, men are like, Spanx, I'm in. What, what, that sounds kind of fun. No, 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 it's perv. It's not that. It's, it's, it's a product designed by a woman named Sarah Blakeney, who is brilliant, by the way, an incredible leader, entrepreneur. And it's a product that's designed to um, hold things together. Is that, a, is that a great way to describe it? Is that, because you, you can get in trouble here. Yeah, like pull things in, right? And so, so it, was, it was initially designed for women, but they have now got a men's line of Spanx. So a buddy of mine, we were just talking about it, and I was like, yeah, I got to get some of those. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, the next time you come to my church and speak, I'll totally get you a Spanx shirt. I was like, yeah, yeah, you do that. Be careful what you ask for because I got there, I checked in to my motel, whatever, swipe my key, get in, gift basket, spank shirt in the gift basket. And so I was like, ha-ha, I called him, ha-ha, funny, funny. And he goes, well, you need to try it on. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll do that. So I go out to dinner with some friends, come back that night, and I'm like, you know, it's supposed to work. What's it going to hurt to try this on? So... Now, I was 40 pounds heavier, too. Just keep that in mind. So, so I, I put the shirt on. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it did not help me. It, it might have helped you and, or whatever. Praise God for that. It did not help at all. And, but I even put on another shirt over it, and I was, kind of stood in the mirror, kind of side thing. I was like, no, nope, it don't help. So I thought, okay, I'll just take this shirt off. And then I decided to take the Spanx shirt off. This was a problem. I'm not making this up. It took me 30 freaking minutes to get that shirt off of my body. I was pulling. I was in the floor. I was in the fetal position. I cried. I begged God, if you let me get out of this shirt, God, I'll never get in one of these shirts again. I'm pulling. It was, it was humiliating. And I had two buddies next door, and they were like, why didn't you go over there and tell them? I would have been all over social media like this right here with a shirt on. And so, so I did it. I did it then. I wouldn't do it again. Now, with the subject we're talking about today, I know some of you are thinking about, oh, he's talking about marriage. He did it then, and he wouldn't do it again. No, 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 listen, listen. I'm pro-marriage. I, I, marriage is, like, marriage is great. Marriage is awesome. I got to, like, officiate a ceremony yesterday, and, like, it was, it was fun. There was, like, flowers and people smiling and people crying. There's dancing, and there's your champagne toast. I drink water. Um, there's champagne toast, and people are laughing. Like, that, that, that's, that's fun, the celebration. The only thing I don't like about a wedding is whenever people and, and somebody, somebody, every once in a while somebody will do this. Listen, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Animals in a wedding never work. Your dog is going to freak out. Your cat's going to do something. I had a guy one time that wanted to ride a camel down the aisle. I was like, can we not do the... 
you know what? That's kind of cool. Let's, let's see what, but, but we didn't do it. So I love, I love the crowd. I love the celebration. I love the cake. I love all of that. So I'm pro marriage. But while there's a crowd and celebration at the wedding, they don't show up at the courthouse when the divorce goes down. I mean, there's people that, that say they celebrate, but instead of feeling celebration, if you've ever gone through a divorce, you don't feel celebration, you feel condemnation, judged, shame. Kind of comes with a, with a territory. Now, in, in church world, in church world, and, and the reason we're kind of stepping into this is because in church world for years, Divorced people have been considered second-class citizens and treated as such. In fact, when I first got into church work, if you were divorced, you could not serve on a church staff. You could not be an elder. You could not be a deacon. In fact, you couldn't hold any significant leadership position in a church because divorce seemed to disqualify us from immeasurably more than all God could ever ask, or immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And so people carried that around. In fact, the Word of God, it, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is like a sword. And one of the things about a sword is a sword slices. Now, if you're anything like me, you've sat into a service or you've listened to a message where it just seemed like the Word of God sliced right into you. You're like, oh, I needed to hear that. Or, oh, I wish I wouldn't have heard that, but now I did hear that, so I got to do something about that. That's the slicing of the Word of God. But Unfortunately, what the church has done in so many instances has taken the sword and instead of using it to slice, we've turned it sideways and use it to beat people. And there is no, there's, there's probably, divorced people, we are probably one of the most beaten and battered groups of people just in church world. And it's because, and I'll catch some heat for this, but you know what? I am so fine with it. I can't wait. I've got blinders on. I don't care. You can block ban people all day long. It's the reason we catch the most heat is because people take certain passages of Scripture out of context, and they don't take in mind the totality of the Scriptures nor the character of God. And one of the, one of the, one of the clobber passages that I'll just mention, if you've ever been divorced, you've heard this one. Malachi 2.16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to over, overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. If you've been divorced, there's no doubt in my mind that you've been hit with that verse. Not for the purpose of encouragement, but for the purpose of tearing you down. This is what I find interesting. When people talk about things that God hates, the Bible says there's some other things that God hates. And so when it mentions divorce, when people are like clubbing someone with this verse, there's a passage in Proverbs that um, people seem to like overlook. Have you ever noticed that we're always obsessed with the sins that we don't seem to be wrestling with? <laughs> that was good. I didn't even say that in the other services. Y'all slept late. Y'all got the good stuff. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says this, there are six things the Lord hates, hates. 
Seven things that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Let's just roll through this real quick. Number one, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is someone who has never been divorced. And if that's you, I thank God for you. I, I, I mean, praise God that you've never had to walk through that hell. But it would be somebody that has never been divorced looking at somebody that has been divorced thinking, I'm better than you because I haven't done what you've done. It would be somebody that's never struggled with addiction looking at somebody that's struggling with addiction going, I'm better than you because I'm not going through what you're going through. It's using our own life as the lens of self-righteousness to look through to judge other people. And God said, I hate that. Only in the church in America can somebody who is obese look at somebody that has an addiction and say, man, you got a problem. Oh, we'll just keep moving. Number two, a lying tongue. If you've ever been to the DMV, And they ask you your weight. There's not a person in this room that weighs what you said you weighed on your driver's license. God hates that. <clears throat> Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, let's just kind of talk about this for a second. Anytime a divorce takes place, the, the innocent people involved in the whole thing are the children. And one of the things that I strongly encourage is, is, is you can't make the children... So, and people go, well, they're suffering. Yeah, they are suffering, but here's the deal. When one parent or either both parents choose to talk negatively about their ex-spouse in front of the child, that's, what, that, 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 that's making the innocent suffer. So, because at the end of the day, it's going to take the mom and the dad to raise the child, period. So, so a, child, a child should never be weaponized against their biological mother or their biological father. Now, let's keep going. A heart that devises wicked schemes. This is a person that sits around and thinks about ways to get even with other people. We've never done that, right? Never, never. Number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. And this is, we'll address this later, that divorce shouldn't be the first option. Anytime a, a conflict breaks out. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. And we kind of addressed that earlier. <laughs> Everybody in D.C. Is, is hated by God, right? They're all screwed. Um, Republicans and Democrats. And number seven, number seven, a person who stirs up conflict. And for many people, we just simply need to look at the Facebook feed on our own computers. You ever throwing gas on the fire. I mean, you, you know people that have done it. You just pray for them. So, all I, now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, Perry, I see what you're doing. You're trying to make it better for divorced people because you're divorced, Perry, so you're trying to make it better for divorced people, and you're trying to take up for them, and you're trying to make it look better, and trying to make everybody else look worse. That's not what I'm doing at all. The point I'm trying to make is this. All of us are in the same place, and all of us need the same grace, Period. It doesn't matter if we're single. 
It doesn't matter if we're divorced. It doesn't matter if we're married. It doesn't matter if we're remarried. Nobody has the right to stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross and talk about how awesome we are. We are saved by the grace of God. And it's not how good we are. It's how good he is, period. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to address three questions. As I sat down, there's no way I could exhaust the totality of the subject, but I wanted to address three questions um, that I think that are essential for us. And once again, this is for our church. Um, so if you're watching online going, I don't agree with that. That's, if this is your church, then log off, right? I mean, but I'm just saying this is, this is where, this is the stand that, that um, I'm going to take that we take as a, as a church body. Number one, does God hate divorce? That's a great question. Now, let me just talk for just a second. There's very few things on the planet that I actually hate. Hate's a strong word. Like, I don't hate cats. I don't know where that got started. I, I don't hate them. Like, if I came to your house and you had a cat, I'd totally pet it on the head. If you left the room, I wouldn't throw it in, like, the dishwasher and cut it on. That was dark, wasn't it? That was smart. Anyway, so I, 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 listen, I don't think they're the greatest animals in the world, but you do. That's fine. But I don't hate, I don't hate them. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I don't hate, I don't hate the Carolina Gamecocks. I don't. At the end of the day, they're 18 to 22-year-old men playing college football. They're on scholarship. They're, they're, they're trying to do something great. They're trying to win as a team. I don't hate them as individuals. Now, I hope the team never wins again in the history of the world. That would make me happy, but I don't hate them. <laughs> Promise y'all I'll be real. But you know what I do hate? And some of you will get this, and some of you are just going to take my word. I hate anything or anyone that hurts my child. If you're a parent, you just went there with me. It doesn't matter. You can go from zero to pissed off in less than five seconds if somebody messes with your kids. I've seen moms go from gentle to mama bear. It's like, wow, I've seen it happen. And if you don't have kids, then the thing that you hate is anybody or anything that hurts the person closest to you. I don't have a problem. So with that in mind, let's circle back around to this thing where the question is, does God hate divorce? And God says, I hate divorce. So the answer is yes, he hates divorce, but let's kind of dig into that a little bit. Like, why does he hate it? Let's imagine for a second that I live in a neighborhood and um, in this neighborhood, there's a house that's got a a dog and the dog's crazy and it's big and it's you know ferocious, but they got the, like a little like dog fence so the dog can never come outside the fence. And so, Karis, my daughter and I, we're walking by the house and we talk about the dog and how dangerous the dog is and you know could the dog bite? And yeah, the dog will bite, but the dog's in the fence, so don't worry about it. So there's all this conversation, and then one day I'm in my house and um, Karis comes running in and she's crying and she's bleeding because she's been bitten by the dog. Now, just real quick question. As her father, do I hate her for getting bitten by the dog or do I hate the dog for biting her? I hate the dog. 
that's not the time for me to, oh, well, you know, if you would have followed the rules, you wouldn't have gotten bitten by the dog. The Bible says in First Hesitations 4.2, thou shalt not mess with the dog. Like, I, I would, that's not the time for a lecture. When she's hurt, the time, the, the, it's time to find out the best way to get her help and healing, not lecture. I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at the dog for biting her. With all that in mind, Keith, the reason God hates divorce is because do, the, divorce is the dog that bites. In other words, I'll, I'll say it like this. God does hate divorce. God does not hate you. God hates divorce. You know why? Let's just put our cards on the table, those that have been divorced in the room. It sucks. It's painful. It's lonely. Even if you went through it and you had justification for it, it's not something that you want your kids to go through one day. So God, God doesn't hate you. God does not hate you. No matter what you've been told, no matter what's been preached down to you, God does not hate you. He hates what hurt you because he's a good, good father that wants great things for his children. Which leads to question number two, should divorce be my first option? Now, living in Anderson, South Carolina, <laughs> for these past three years has been super interesting. Because um, 95% of the comments made to me in public are really encouraging and super awesome, but there's that 5% that's just weird. Like they ask questions that they have no right to know the answer to. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like personal. So I was in the gym about a year and a half ago, and um, I don't like to talk when I'm in the gym anyway. So I, I'm, I go in there for one reason, to work out. And so I'm getting ready to walk out. As I'm walking in, there's a guy, and I recognize him. I didn't know his name, but I saw him. It's kind of like one of those people you see every once in a while, and you recognize them, and they recognize you, and you just maybe say a couple words, like, you know, how's the weather, or whatever. And so he walked in, he looked at me, and he stopped, and he goes, hey, preacher, how's that divorce going? You know, because <laughs> mine was in the newspaper, right? So I was, just, I was like, um... Honestly, it, it sucks. He goes, well, tell me about it. Tell me what happened. I said, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather not. I don't know. Like, and then I asked the wrong question. Why are you even concerned? He said, oh, I told my wife she didn't straighten her ass out. I was leaving her. <laughs> oh. oh. <clears throat> okay. Now, I, now I'm interested, so now I'm asking the questions. <laughs> How long y'all been married? He said about 35 years. Have you like maybe thought about? He said, "I oh, know. I told her everything she need to do. Straighten out. She won't do it." <laughs> no, that is the problem, right? If people would just do and act and think exactly like we want, the world would be an awesome place. I didn't say that, but I thought it. I was like, well, have you tried therapy? Have you tried counseling? We wound up having a conversation after all, not about my life, but about his. But at the end of the day, I'm telling people that if, you, if you're looking, if you're in your marriage and your marriage is struggling, by the way, let me, let me just point this out. Your marriage isn't struggling because you're a bad person. Your marriage is struggling because you're two human beings. There's always going to be conflict between two humans. It doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're human. But I'm telling you, if there's any 
way to avoid divorce, I would highly, if there's any way, if there's any way, sometimes there's not a way. And five years ago, I wouldn't have said that. Sometimes there's not a way. For example, if a woman is in an abusive relationship being physically beaten by a man and he won't stop, I have literally told women at least, and I I was thinking about this this morning, at least seven or eight women, I've told them, you need to get out right now. There's no excuse for that. No, No good father wants his daughter to be beaten, period. So I, I'm saying I understand. Sometimes, sometimes it's the only it's the only way to keep from getting severely hurt. But I don't think it should be the first. I, if there's any, I'm, I'm just saying if there's any way. Now, what does it take to make a marriage work? From what I've observed in couples that have made it long term, I'm talking 20, 30, 40 years. If you're going to make that marriage work, work it takes three things. Forgiveness, ownership, and time. It takes two people willing to forgive one another. Like, literally forgive. Forgive means you don't bring it up again. You know, in 2002, you did that thing. Like, no. God, we we only had dial-up internet in 2002. Can we forget it? It takes ownership. Ownership is, even if it's 95% your spouse's problem, you own your 5% and let them and God deal with the 95%. And Tom, don't you just wish you could pray the magic prayer and the marriage is okay? It doesn't work that way. But the couples that I know that have succeeded in making it work, forgiveness, ownership, and time. Because, see, here's the myth. Here's the myth. The myth is there's always a good guy and a bad guy. The myth is one person's ungodly and one person's godly. The myth is that two godly people that love Jesus will always be able to make it work out. I wish that were true. I wish that were true, but there's a, there's a friendship. Now, I'm, I want to go ahead and put this out there. This is not a marriage that I'm about to refer to in Scripture, but it's a friendship between two guys, two major characters in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, both godly people. They both love Jesus. And you would think that two godly people that love Jesus would always come to the same conclusion. But in this text, Luke tells us in Acts 15, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, and have not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. At the end of the day, two people both loved Jesus, and it didn't work. I'm just saying, if you, and, and this is my reason for saying this, if you've never been through a divorce. You know somebody that has been through a divorce. My hope and prayer for this message for you is that you would look through the lens of compassion rather than condemnation. I know the whole story. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
There's his side, her side, and the truth. Stop taking sides. Start taking a stand that includes empathy and compassion. That's what's going to help them heal. Which leads to the third question. And the third question is this. Is there life beyond divorce? Now, my honest, raw gut answer is, God, I hope so. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, <laughs> I, if I'm an all-out person. Like, I, if I'm going in, I'm just going all in, you know? And so that means if I do something right, like, I really do it right. And if I screw something up, I really screw it up. So for many of you that probably know the story, back in 2006, I had the brilliant idea of going to San Diego to do a marathon. 26.2 miles running for no reason. Nobody's chasing you. You're just running. And, uh, and, and I failed. And when I say I failed, I failed royally. I was at mile 22.6. It's 26.2 miles. Less than four miles from the finish line. Come, and this is what some people who are very loving and what, oh my gosh, well you were, it's kind of like you finished. I don't, I don't accept nor believe in participation trophies. I failed. How bad did you fail? Mile 22.6, completely dehydrated, passed out in the road, hit my head, ambulance ride to the hospital. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's the thing that I don't know about, I don't know about you, but that's the thing that's been in my head for like years. It's like I tried it and I failed. I tried it and I failed. I tried it and I failed. I'm just going to go ahead and tell y'all, next May 2020, May of 2020, I'm going back to San Diego and I'm going to finish that marathon. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. What defeated me does not get to define me. It's defeated me for far too long. And I would say that about anyone here or watching online that's been divorced. What defeated you does not get to define you for the rest of your life. What you did is not who you are. And, and the reason I know this is because of this story about Jesus in the scriptures. John in his gospel in John chapter four, John tells us that Jesus is on his way from point A to point B and he had to go through Samaria. Now, geographically, that wasn't true. So there has to be a spiritual connotation to it. So Jesus is on his way. Samaritans were despised by Jews and men did not talk to women because women during this time period weren't really viewed as equal. They were kind of viewed as property. So Jesus strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman and it begins to take a spiritual turn. And Jesus says to her, watch this, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're shacking up with now. This is southern Israel. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, now I'm just, this woman had been divorced Five times. In fact, so many times, he told the next guy, like, listen, we're just going to move in together. We, I just tried this marriage thing. It didn't work. We didn't spend all this money. I'm just not doing it. We're going to live together. It ain't going to work. And he's like, fine, I'm in. So that, I'm, that's in my mind. That's how it happened. 
She'd been divorced five times. Now, this is just kind of a side note, and this is just something to geek out on. Five men, she's with the sixth. Jesus is number seven. In the Bible, seven is the number of completion. So Jesus wasn't stepping into her life to condemn her, but to complete her because that's who he is. That's what he does. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world or to condemn the world. And let me make you a promise. If he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, he didn't send self-righteous Christians to do it either. Snap. I didn't say that in other services either. So, so, so Jesus is kind of addressing the situation. You've been divorced five times. Go get your husband. He said, you, you spoke the truth. And then the conversation continues, and I love it. She, the woman said to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. She tells Jesus about Jesus. It'd be like me standing in the lobby after the service and somebody coming up to me and going, hey, man, Pierre be here in a minute. Yes, he will. I mean, <laughs> and <laughs> we could tase this guy because that would be weird, right? So she's telling Jesus about Jesus because the last person, let me tell you, the last person this lady expected to see was the Messiah because if there was anybody who was broken down and felt damaged and felt discouraged and felt disqualified, it was this lady. But isn't it funny that this is the very person that Jesus revealed himself to? And Scripture says when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Miss this. It's the first person in the Gospel of John that Jesus revealed himself to. It's the first person, not a Bible scholar, not a person that followed all the rules, but a person that had been divorced five times and was so broken down and discouraged, and Jesus steps into her life and goes, I got what you need. All I'm trying to make, all I'm trying to do is make this point with this. Just because you're divorced doesn't mean you're damaged. I know there's people that have said that to you or I know there's people or situations that have made you feel that way. I understand way better than I wish I understood. But just because you're divorced doesn't mean you're damaged. God still loves you. God still has a plan for you. And you are still capable of experiencing immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. I got several texts this week um, uh, from friends because they knew the subject I was going to be speaking on and they knew um, this was going to be hard. And uh, I just want to read you one because it, it meant um, so much to me. And if you've been through a divorce, I think it'll mean something to you. You may have gone through a divorce, but divorce is not your name. Your marriage may have ended, but failure is not your name. You may have not felt loved, 
but unlovable is not your name. You are a child of God, completely loved, forgiven, and free. That's true for you, whether it's divorce or whatever you've gone through. We have a God that loves us unconditionally. Before we give the invitation, people have asked me, have you, how have you personally dealt with this season in your own life? Well, the, the only thing I can tell you is over and over and over again, I find myself having to surrender how I feel to Jesus in the moment. I've got a piano in my apartment, and I'll sit down sometimes and just play the old hymn, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. And I can literally see myself just surrendering the hurt and the bitterness and the anger and the confusion and the doubt and the fear. I can see myself just surrendering that to Jesus and laying at his feet. Sometimes it's multiple times a day. Sometimes I have to go through that exercise as I'm just walking to get Jesus. I'm surrendering this to you because as we surrender these things to Jesus, that's where we find the freedom because Jesus, listen, if there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, then he's not intending for us to carry those burdens on our shoulders. So before I give the invitation today, I want to just offer us a chance to literally surrender the condemnation that many of us feel and put it at the feet of Jesus. So would you stand with me for prayer? Father, I want to thank you right now, Jesus, that you provide so much hope. In the scripture, you provided hope to this Samaritan woman. God, I know that this week you've encouraged me with hope. And God, I want to pray for every single person in this room that has gone through a divorce or been impacted by a divorce. Jesus, that feel the weight of condemnation and accusations and looks that they get from other people. Father, they'll be able to just pause in the moment and lay all of that at your feet. I pray for people that have not been divorced, Jesus, that over these next few moments that we'd be able to surrender self-righteousness and have compassion and empathy towards people that are going through this. Thank you, Jesus, that as we surrender, we find strength.